Hey, um, man, what a, what a joy it is to sing those wonderful truths about that no matter what is going on, that because of the work of Christ, it can be well with our soul. Uh, hey, we're kicking off a brand new series here from the book of Philippians called Joyful Today. And uh, the reason that we chose that is, um, man, our theme for 2020 year is 2022 is forward. And as we move forward, we thought it would be appropriate to really say, man, we want to move forward into this new season with joy. It's been a crazy couple of years, right? I mean, this world has been upside down. And so we want to be reminded that in Christ, there is joy. Now, if you are new to Gospel Hope, today is going to be a very non-traditional day because it's Connect Sunday. Woo, yeah. And for us, it is just critical to the life of our church here that we help our church family get connected with one another and really do their life together. So today, I'm going to ask you to participate in the sermon, son. There's going to be some discussion and all kinds of things going on. So I pray you came prepared to participate today. Let's pray, and we're going to dive into Philippians chapter 1 and talk about this idea that you were made for this. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that it is well with our soul and that all that trust in Jesus are made righteous because of him. Lord, I pray that you would use your word in our lives today, encourage us, strengthen us, shape us, change us, hide me behind the cross of Christ. Open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things from your law. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now, if you read the creation account in Genesis chapter 1, you see a clear pattern that emerges there. God creates and then he says, it is good. Okay, so can you say that word with me? Good. So when I point to you, you're going to say? Good. Very good. So day one, God creates the light and he says it is? Day two, God creates the atmosphere and he says it is? Day three, God creates the dry land and sea and he says that it is? Day four, God creates the plants and says it is. Day five, God creates the birds and the fish and says it is. Day six, God creates Adam and says, whoa. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. Wait a minute. Isn't Adam in one sense the pinnacle of God's creative work? His greatest display of his brilliance and wisdom and creativity made to rule over the rest of creation. And yet after God creates all the rest of the things, he gets to Adam and he says, it is not good. Well, why is it not good? Because there in the text it says, it is not good for man to be what? Alone. So there's a deficiency in us when we are alone, or if I could put it very simply, we are created for community. That is, human beings are not meant to live in isolation. The Lord put other people on the planet, whether you like them or not, to emphasize his wise design that we are in this together. God created human beings as communal beings. But this is not simply a truth that is emphasized on the first pages of Scripture. It finds expression throughout the entire Bible, and it gets displayed with 4D clarity when you get to the pages of the New Testament and the life of the church, the people of God are described. 
For instance, you get to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and the church, the people of God, are described as a body with each individual member making up a part of that body. For just as the body is one, it has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. Or you skip over to the book of Ephesians, and Paul describes the church as a temple with each individual build, uh, believer making up building materials that go into that temple. Ephesians 2, verse number 21. In him, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together for God's dwelling in his spirit. Or finally, the church is described as a family. That is, when believers trust in the work of Jesus, they in one sense become spiritual kin. Mark chapter 12, here's Jesus speaking. Who is my mother and who are my brothers? Stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, Here, here is my mother's and my brother's. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. The truth is, if you are a follower of Jesus, you were not meant to go it alone, no matter how good you might be at spades. You are meant to be part of something larger than yourself, or as we like to say around here, the Christian life is a team sport. Now, I know you get tired of this illustration, but I'm going to tell it again because it's such a good illustration. I cannot improve upon it. When you play golf, any golfers in here, raise your hand. People are like, no, not me. I'm not, yeah. Any golfers, raise your hand. All right. Okay, of those folks who is bad at golf, raise your hand. Who is a liar in this room? Nobody is good at golf. When you play golf, at the end of your round, who is responsible for the number on the scorecard? Who's responsible? You. You and you alone. Why? Because you drove badly, you chipped even worse, and you putted terribly. And therefore, the score on the scoreguard is your responsibility. It's not the golf courses. I know some of you have been blaming it on the course for years. It's not the caddy. It's not the other people you were playing with. At the end of the day, the number on the card is a reflection of you. Why? Because golf is an individual sport. You play it all by yourself. Sure, other people can be walking along with you, but at the end of the day, you're responsible for your score. But, but what about football? When, when, when you play football, who is responsible for the scoreboard at the end of the game? Is it the quarterback alone? No. Is it the middle linebacker? No. Is it the captain of the team? Is it the head coach? Is it the defensive coordinator? Is it the kicker? Is it the band? I don't know if they're responsible or not. No. Who is responsible for the scoreboard at the end of a football game? It is who? Toll team. Everybody has a part to play. Doesn't matter if you caught the ball. Doesn't matter if you were on offense. Doesn't matter if you were on defense. Doesn't matter if you were on special team. If you're on the team, you have a part in the score. And I would argue that Christian life is far more like football than it is like golf. We are not meant to go it alone, but we are in a team sport where when one of us wins, all of us wins. When one ship in the harbor rises, all the ships in the harbor rise. We are meant to do it together. If you want to follow Jesus, if you want to faithfully follow Christ, listen to me very plainly on this. You can't do it by yourself. I know that might be easier. 
I know it's great to like go and, you know, stay at home and like read your Bible and pray all by yourself. And you may be a wonderful individual Christian, but you're playing the wrong game. You weren't meant to play golf. You were meant to play football. The Apostle Paul seems to emphasize this idea in our passage today in Philippians chapter one. Here's what he says. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you. So this is the Philippian believers, a church where he really wasn't at that, that long. And he says, when I think about you, I, I praise God for you. Why? Why, Paul? Always praying with joy for you in every prayer because of your, what's the word? Partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So when Paul thought of the Philippian believers, he didn't primarily think of them as acquaintances. He didn't primarily think of them as ministry associates. He didn't even primarily think of them as his friends. When Paul thought of the Philippian believers, he said, these are my partners in the gospel. Man, I read that passage and at Gospel Hope, my earnest desire is that we would have lots of gospel partners among us. That you would just look around this room and you say, these are my partners. These are my people. These are the ones who I am going the distance with. These are my gospel folk, as it were. We say it all the time and we really mean it. The church is not like a family. It is a family. These folks in this room are not like my brothers and sisters. They are my brothers and sisters. And that is a blood-bought gift of the Savior who lived the life we should have lived, who died the death we should have died, and rose victoriously to make us family. Now, at Gospel Hope Church, one of the major ways that we seek to cultivate gospel partnership is through what we call community groups. Now, this certainly is not the only way to cultivate community. But I just know among busy schedules... If you, if you fail to plan what? You plan to fail. If you say, yeah, community is a good thing, but you don't have any way, you don't have any margin, you don't have any structure in your life that causes you actually to link arms with other believers, what's the chances of that happening? Not very high, is it? Because the tyranny of the urgent crowds things out. So we ask that at least in our church family, those that are members at Gospel Hope, we ask every church member to be plugged into a community group. Not because we're trying to be mean or rude, but because we know that the Christian life is a team sport. You need other people in your life. Look, what we do on Sunday morning, it's super important. We believe that the preaching of God's word to God's people is critical. It is a high part of what God has called Pastor Rod and I to do. But look, the Sunday gathering, though it is indispensable, it alone is insufficient. There are certain things that just cannot happen, even in a gathering of this size. We're not a large church. We're a new church. We're a toddler church right now, I think. We're not a baby church anymore. We're toddlers. We're more naughty than baby churches. We break more things. But you just can't do it alone, and you need other brothers and sisters involved in your life. So we encourage all of our folks to get plugged into a community group. And the mission of our community groups at Gospel Hope is very simple. We want to cultivate community. How? By considering the word, by connecting with one another, by communing with God, and by caring for our neighbors. Let me say that again. We'll have a graphic up here on the screen. We want to cultivate community by considering the word, 
by connecting with one another, by communing with God, and by caring for our neighbors. In other words, we want all of our church family to be living in this whole house together. Spending time in each of these rooms together, living their lives and sharing time in the dining room and on the front porch and in the living room, just sharing their lives, doing life together in true Christian community. We believe this is so important to the life of our church that we take a couple Sundays like this every year. We call them Connect Sundays or Group Reboot to help people explore and get plugged in to a community group. So uh, here, I'm not gonna hide where we're going this morning. I want by the end of today, you to sign up for my community group. That's where I'm going, okay? I'm gonna try to persuade you and trick you (laughs) to get signed up. And just for $19.95 a month, you will make three easy, I'm just kidding. We are thoroughly convinced that if we thrive, if we are to thrive in our relationship with Jesus, look, we need one another. I believe that for all of you. If I could put it very plainly, our relationship with God is connected to our relationship with others. Do you believe that? If your relationship with God is not right, guess what else is not right? Your relationship with other people. And the reverse is also true. If your relationship with other people is not right, guess what? Your relationship with God is not right. You know, in fact, the Bible says that, man, don't tell me I love God, that you love God, who you have not seen, and you don't love your brother who you have seen. In the Ryan International Version, here's what it says, hogwash. No, you can't do that. Our relationship with God is connected to our relationship with others. And don't you feel that? When you have broken relationships or are living in isolation, you also feel broken and disconnected from the Lord. In fact, we want to, uh, we, we're so committed to this idea that right now today, I actually want to give you a bit of a foretaste of what might happen in a community group. So give you a sense of that, an appetizer, if you will. So everybody got a handout? Raise your hand out in the air. If you didn't get, you got to participate here. This is, this is Participation Sunday, okay? So if you didn't get one, raise your hand. The lovely folks will come and pass them out to you. If you did not get a handout, okay, this side is delinquent. Okay, wow. So here they come. So I want to put up something on the screen, and here's what I'm going to have you do. If you didn't get a handout, keep your hand up. Folks will be coming around and passing those out to you. Um, Right up on the screen, we have what we call our 5-I Bible study method. This is not the only way to study the Bible. It's just a way to study the Bible and a way that we have found helpful. So we want believers in our church regularly getting the Bible open with one another. We don't want the only teachers in your life to be Pastor Rod and I. We want you to teach one another. One analogy to put it is sometimes we think about, uh, about feeding ourselves spiritually as like going to a five-star restaurant. You know, you come in here, you didn't expect to do anything. You're just like, man, Ryan better put a meal together for us and it better be good. It's maybe like a three-star, I don't know. But I would say really we should view it more as a potluck. What happens at a potluck? Everybody brings a dish, and it doesn't even matter if you're a good cook. Everybody can bring something and contribute and help one another grow. And we want that to be happening all the time in the life of our groups, where believers are regularly teaching one another from God's Word. So here's the little method that we have designed to help you do that. There's five eyes here. First thing is this. There's insight, lightning bolt. What strikes you from this passage? Second thing, inquiry. What question do you have about this? 
Third thing, implication. How is God asking you to change an arrow? Fourth thing, invitation. What do you want what do you want to say to God? In other words, sometimes we open the Bible and God speaks to us and we never speak to him. And we just want to be in the practice of hearing from God and then talking to God. We want prayer and the study of the word to be connected. And then finally, because we don't want a bunch of spiritual cul-de-sacs in our church, that is people who take everything in and never let anything out, we want to always emphasize who is God calling you to invest your life in? Because that's the call of every Christian. We are not just called to be a disciple, but to be a disciple maker. So there's the five eyes. Here's what I'm going to invite you to do right now, actually. I'm going to invite you to look at Philippians chapter one, verses three and following. That's gonna be up on the screen in just a minute. And I want you to write down one lightning bolt, one question mark, one arrow. Got it? One lightning bolt, one question mark, one arrow. You're gonna study that passage on your own. And then you're gonna talk about it with people around you. We're gonna give you time to do that right now so that you can see how you can be encouraged by studying the word together. Everybody got their assignment? You're going to do a lightning bolt. You're going to do a question mark. You're going to do an arrow. And then you're going to do what? Talk about it. Got it? You're smart people. You can do it. Ready, set, go. All right. Some of you guys are like going in. You like just started community group right now. Hey, how are you feeling? Okay, give me some words. Like how are you feeling right now? Encouraged. What's that? Did somebody say pressured? Okay, right. Okay. How am I feeling? Defeated. Yeah, okay. Uh, what, how, are you, how else are you feeling? Oh, ready to commit to a group. Hey, all right. Yeah, there you go. What else you got? Engaged. I, in the last service, they like alliterated, and you guys are moving that direction with the ease right now. I can feel it. I can feel it. Isn't it great? Just opening up God's word with God's people. And talking about it, because that's what we were made for. We want this type of thing to happen all the time in the life of our church. That's why we have community groups, because we believe that believers sharpen one another. Or if I could put it very plainly, we flourish in fellowship. We flourish in fellowship. Is this not what we observe in Philippians chapter 1? Did you pick that up as you looked at this passage? The gospel partnership between Paul and the Philippian believers produced some wonderful fruit. No doubt you already noticed some of those as you look at the text, but I'd like to briefly just make two observations about what we see here when people partner together in the gospel, what happens. So two things, the results of gospel partnership. And by the way, if you want to take notes, there's a spot on the back for you to do so. These things will be available every week, by the way. We're going to just make these available. They're already available online. We're going to make them paper available for you. And we're going to buy like a truckload of pens. So, because I know you guys aren't responsible. Okay, so number one. What is the results of gospel partnership? First thing is this, common empathy. As you read this passage, is it not clear to you that the Philippians love Paul and Paul loved the Philippians? Did you notice that? Look at the language uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse number 6. I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Indeed, it is right for me to think this way about you because I have you in my heart. Skip down to verse 8. For God is my witness how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. 
And Paul had good reason to feel this way about the Philippian believers. Verse number seven, you are partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So when Paul was in dire straits, guess who was there? The Philippians. And when Paul was up on the mountaintop storming the gates of hell with a squirt gun, guess who went with them? The Philippians. The principle is this, gospel partners are with you. And don't you desire that? Don't you desire some ride or die people in your life who when you're in the valley, you just know that they will be there. And when you're up on the mountaintop, you know they will be there. As many of you know, my dad passed away this week. And while it was certainly a sorrowful occasion, the number of people who texted or called or dropped by or brought meals was overwhelming. What's really interesting about this outpouring of love is that certainly my immediate family kind of rallied around, but the vast majority of the people who were showing us care were not blood. They were folks who were bound to us by the gospel. Because gospel partners are with you. That's what gospel partners do. When you believe the gospel, the cords that tie you to your fellow believers are both deep and strong. And if you long to have people who celebrate with you when you get the promotion or grieve with you when you get the unfavorable diagnosis, let me encourage you to share your life intentionally with some gospel partners. As I look around this room, I see many relationships that have been forged on the anvil of the gospel. And I'm not just talking about like relationships with me. I mean relationships with one another. That the gospel has bound you so tightly together that you can honestly say, no, the church is not like a family, it is a family. These are my people. And even when we are in the valley of the shadow of death or when we are on the peak of peaks, these are the folks who are with me because gospel partnership breeds a common empathy. Don't you want that in your life? Second thing is this, it not only produces common empathy, it also produces common encouragement. Not only did the Philippians like care for Paul and Paul cared for the Philippians, but he also offered them encouragement. What do you mean by that? Well, I think Paul loved the Philippians as is. You know what an as is tag means, right? As is means like all the warts, all the problems, I'll take it as it is, I just accept this thing. And I think Paul did accept the Philippians in that way. I will take them as is. And yet, in the same breath, he says, I appreciate you, I love you, but I want more for you. I long for more in your life. Look at what the verse says. So he loves these people. These are his friends. These are, this is his favorite church in one sense in the New Testament. And he says this, and I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you may approve the things that are superior and may pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. Paul wanted more for this church. He wanted to see God do great and mighty things that they did not know in their lives. Or the idea is simply this. Gospel partners are not only with you. Gospel partners are for you. They will spur you on and encourage you. They are in your corner. 
They are on your team. They are behind you 100%. True gospel partners are not in competition. They long to see you thrive and survive in your life. Once again, don't you want some people in your life around you who believe the best and want the best for you? Don't you want those type of people in your life? Then you need some gospel partners. The fact that Philippians had been wonderful partners to Paul does not make him stop wanting more for them. I think that's fascinating. These people have been like ideal. And he's like, and I want more because I love you and I bless you and I'm excited for the way God has worked. And that is a down payment in one sense that God will continue to work. He wanted them to excel in godliness. I think this principle came home to me uh, even more clearly when we sent my son Ian off to college. Ian's here today. And, um, you know, he's at the stage in his life where he's just like too big for me to make him do things. Like, you know, I can't like be like, do this or else I'll put you in a headlock. Um, I think I could still get him, but my shoulders hurt. So um, I can't get him. Okay. Um, But the idea is when we sent Ian off to college, we didn't stop being for him. In one sense, we got more for him. You know what I mean? Those of you parents who have done that. You're so for him. And that doesn't mean you just affirm everything that a child does when you're for them. Sometimes you correct. You correct because you're for them. But then when they succeed, guess what you do? You are like, you're like the biggest cheerleaders in the world. And don't you want some correcting and cheering people in your life who love you enough to say, I am so for you that I'm willing to say, Nicole, that's out of line. I love you, sis, but that's not the way you should go. Now, I can't make you do anything. Nicole didn't do anything, all right? She's not really in trouble. I I can't force you, but I am so for you. I am compelled. I am compelled to speak into your life. And then when Nicole takes a step in the right direction, I'm the first one hugs and high fives, right? That is what true gospel partnership means. It, not just mean, it doesn't just mean we're with people, but we're for people. We're willing to encourage, which means, yes, we accept, but also we challenge and we cheer when the time is right. We all long to have that type of people in our lives, do we not? I hope you hear this and say, man, I'd love to have some gospel partners in my life. But Ryan, like what you describe in our hectic, busy schedules, is that even possible? Well, here's the good news. Over in the book of Ephesians, here is what it says. Listen carefully. You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. Now, sometimes we think of the work of Christ And we think Jesus died on the cross in order to take us to heaven one day. And is that true? Is that true or false? True. It's wonderfully true. It's one of the best things in the world that Jesus died on the cross in order to rescue his people and give them an eternal home with him forever. And you know what else? Jesus died on the cross to forgive us our sins. Isn't that good news? These are wonderful things that because of Jesus, we are forgiven. Because of Jesus, we have an eternal home in heaven. But did you catch what this verse says? It says that Jesus died on the cross so that you would no longer be a foreigner or a stranger, but rather a member of the family. Jesus died to give you a seat at the table. 
Jesus laid down his life so that you could be part of his family and enjoy all the benefits that come with that. Listen, Jesus took your place so you could have a place. Jesus died to include you in the family of God. So I want to close and say we would be fools. We would be fools not to strive to embrace that gift that Christ died to purchase. Jesus died so that you could belong. So let's live like it, church. I want to wrap up by asking you to do two very specific things. Two very specific things as we close out today. The first thing is this. We're going to go back to your five eyes. Back to your five eyes. And you notice this one right here, invitation. What do you want to say to God? Will you find a buddy right now, just one person, one person and share. Maybe God spoke to you about something that we're saying this morning from the message. Maybe it was the passage that you're reading and you're saying, Lord, I long for you to do this in my life. Will you share that with somebody sitting next to you? And then will you pray for one another? Okay, can't be none of these long prayers because you don't want to stay here until like three o'clock. So um, just normal, normal prayers, okay? Normal prayers, no Eugene Dewberry specials. Where are you, Eugene? That man can pray, so, but he's not short. Um, pray for one another. Then after that, here's what I want you to do. Ready? Sign up for a group. <laughs> Get plugged into a community group, and here's how you do it. You see on the seat in front of you, there is a QR code in front of many of you. If you got a phone, got a phone, scan that QR code, and that's going to take you to a page where you can sign up for a group right now. If you are technologically challenged or don't know how to do that, you can go right out here in the foyer, and there are some folks that will help you get signed up for a group. What clicking that button in the group will do it will basically contact the group leader and they're gonna reach out to you. So here's the other one more set of instructions I need to have. Group leaders, if you are a group leader, after you pray with somebody, will you just stand around the room? And if anybody has a question about groups, come see one of the group leaders and they can direct you uh, to help you with that. Everybody clear on that? So your instructions are this, pray for one another, sign up for a group. If you're a group leader, stand around the room so that you can help people. Everybody good? Nod your heads, smile, say amen. amen, say Ryan is the best. I'm just kidding. Okay, all right, ready, set, go.